it was challenging because we really did do something that was quite different. Um, but it was a, kind of an actor's dream. I felt like I played 10 different women. Welcome to another episode of The Awardist, Entertainment Weekly's podcast about the Emmy race featuring interviews and analysis. I am Kristen Baldwin, TV critic at Entertainment Weekly, and I'm here with my colleague and my friend, Jared Hall. It's me. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. We're getting to, oh my gosh, oh. we are getting to the point where nomination voting is going to begin. I know. It's exciting. I really don't, I, I don't know what it feels like right now to be an Academy member with all like this onslaught of FYC campaigns and all of these interviews and all of the amazing content this year, by the way, that they have to decide who is really worthy of recognition. But, you know, exactly. that's why we're here to help. It's a lot of TV to watch. So let's yeah. just let's just talk it through. This week is a very interesting episode. We're going to have an interview with a leading contender in the mm -hmm. comedy actress race, Ms. Kaylee Cuoco, who is so great on The Flight Attendant. She's incredibly funny, but it's also a pretty, like, dramatic role, too. There's a lot of emotion. She goes on a personal journey. Yeah, I mean, there's death involved, and there's typically not anything funny about that. <laughs> um, Correct. And yeah, and she's very much a uh, functioning alcoholic. Right. And so there's, yeah, this, this entire murder mystery, but is there a murder? Is there a mystery? Is it all in her head? We don't know what's going on from, uh, from the outset, but uh, they do a uh, really compelling job keeping you interested, and she is just operating at a certain level that... I kind of felt all of the anxiety with her. You know what I mean? Like she exactly. brought me along for the ride. And this is a show that really the the success of it was purely on her shoulders, really. If she was not coming through, this show was not going to come through. And, and she she did it. Yeah. And it's uh, we talked about that. Uh, in addition to carrying the show as a lead, she, this was also her first time as an executive producer. It was mm -hmm. an international shoot. There was a lot of drama to deal with, by the way. There was a pandemic that caused production Ooh. to shut down. Yeah, so, thing. yeah, she she chose her first post Big Bang Theory job, you know, carefully. And it was a big one. And, you know, mm -hmm. Congrats to her. She's had a great success with it. But yeah, so we're going to talk to her. But then, Jared, tell the people a little bit about what else we'll be discussing this week. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, you know, we kind of mentioned, yes, her show is a comedy contender, technically, but there's a lot of drama involved. Well, we're mm -hmm. really going to focus right now on the actual drama category, the drama series. Last year's winner was Succession. They are not eligible this year because they did not have uh, a new season during uh, this eligibility window. But my, oh my, are the shows that are eligible. They're so good. So let me run through them here quickly. Uh, we have a couple from Netflix. The Crown, season four, phenomenal. Also so Bridgerton. Good. Yeah, and Bridgerton, a worldwide smash hit with its first season. Also the final season, third and final. I wish we had more, but alas, just uh, three seasons. And this last one of Pose on FX is eligible. HBO has a few really strong contenders, Lovecraft Country, In Treatment, and Perry Mason, and more from the streamers, Amazon, The Boys. We've got a superhero mm -hmm. show in the mix, but it is, wow, so much more than just a superhero show. Also streaming the second season of The Mandalorian on Disney Plus and over on Hulu, season four 
of The Handmaid's Tale. I feel like I really need to say it like that because there's so much <laughs> heavy, weighty material yes. on this show. It's very grim. Uh, oh, and and I cannot leave out here uh, the one big network, one of the big five, NBC's This Is Us, which has uh, had an interesting season, but it's they- It's still on. It's still on. <laughs> one more season to go. We know that the next season will be the last. This one, they, like so many shows, they dealt with the pandemic. They dealt with mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter and, and race. And then they did what This Is Us does very well. And they ended the season on a wonderful little uh, twist and cliffhanger. Uh, and that's what sure, people sure. love about this show. So, yeah, of this mix, is there one you were surprised to see? I think This Is Us is probably a long shot simply because there is so much other good stuff out there. I don't understand how The Mandalorian is ever in this mix. You know, my colleague Darren Franich, bless his heart, he says it's a show about a helmet. Mm-hmm. I kind of agree with that. Um, but I understand a lot of people love it. It's just not my cup yeah. of tea. It's, it's I, the Baby Yoda show. It's the Baby Yoda show, exactly. <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I guess I'm a little surprised to see the momentum for the boys just because, as you said, you know, on its face, it's a superhero mm-hmm. show and that's not something that traditionally gets in the mix here. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, there's a lot. I think the only thing we can know for sure is that the crown will be nominated. <laughs> oh, 100 percent it will be nominated if not it's the front runner to win right i think i mean that fourth season was just a knockout the best so far i think i mean season four especially with the introduction of uh princess diana and that entire storyline um, so good. And, and margaret thatcher there was there was a lot going on but in a good way yes peter morgan just handles all of this material so wonderfully Absolutely. So I think it's really, I mean, once again, it's a front runner and and it deserves it uh, for Mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. Um, So having said all of that, we we know this list. Is there a show that's not here that you think should be in contention? Yes. And I'm not saying it's not in the mix at all, but I I really think it's a long shot. And that's P-Valley on Stars, which is Mm -hmm. um, this incredible drama about this strip club in Mississippi. And it's really, you know, flashy because it's a show about a strip club, but it's also this incredible character drama and a lot of interesting female friendships. And it's just, I really enjoyed it. It ended on a great setup for season two. So I'm really excited to see more of that. And I think it's gaining some momentum, but this year may not be the year. Yeah, well, and I think people are discovering that show more now. Uh, They weren't on it right from the Uh, get-go. I've definitely seen more people talking about this show on uh, social media. And, you know, look, sometimes it takes these Emmy campaigns for mm-hmm. people to discover shows because you start to see, you know, billboards or, you know, uh, right. magazine, uh, you know, ads. We we are very familiar with that. Or they're popping up on your, uh, you know, your phone as you're scrolling social media. And that's certainly a show that, um, you know, they want people to discover because it's it's done very well and the characters are so wildly compelling. Yeah. I mean, we'll talk a little bit about some of the actors and actresses on that show as we get into the next categories. But mm-hmm. Definitely suggest you check it out if you haven't seen it, P-Valley on Stars. So yep. speaking of actors and actresses, let's mm-hmm. talk about leading actor, actress contenders for drama. So for last year, once again, the winner for actor was Jeremy Strong, mm-hmm. you know, obviously so good uh, in succession. Yeah. So look at the list this year. It's jam-packed. 
Josh O'Connor. It's a great one. Yeah, Josh O'Connor, the crown, who uh, has been winning a lot of the kind of precursor awards mm-hmm. uh, to the Emmys. Um, and not to say that that was unexpected, certainly not undeserved, but I think maybe people expected to hear other names and then suddenly it was Josh O'Connor, Josh O'Connor. It's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, so of good course you should be Charles. winning these. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, the final season of Pose, Billy Porter, even before this season started, I heard from several people just wait, Billy Porter will win another Emmy for this. Oh, 100%. I was going to say, I think you're in that camp. But let me go through the rest of the list and then we'll come back there. Uh, From Bridgerton, Reggae Jean Page, Jonathan Majors, who's so fantastic, uh, in Lovecraft Country, uh, (laughs) The Mandalorian himself, Pedro Pascal, (laughs) Sterling K. Brown for This Is Us. He actually really had, uh, I think, the best material this season. Matthew Reese, one of my favorites this year up for Perry Mason. Justin Thoreau, or as his uncle says, it should be pronounced Justin Thoreau for uh, the Mosquito Coast. And then one that uh, I just don't see this happening, but I love him a lot. Anthony Mackie for the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, mean, look, he's great. He was good. And there are definitely some people in the mix for Falcon and Winter Soldier 2. I just don't think that show rises to the Mandalorian level (laughs) in terms of critical acclaim. But who knows? I mean, Or even WandaVision, which is in the limited series race. Yeah. A hundred percent. So even so, you know, Disney has a lot of money. They're going to push that show Mm -hmm. hard, I'm sure. Yeah. But I was wondering, you know, obviously... Mm -hmm. Reggae Jean Page. I never know if I'm saying his name right. He's so great in Bridgerton. But then he made this big splash by announcing he's not going to be in season two. And I wonder, not that this is rational or justified, but I do wonder if that kind of will uh, disincentivize people to vote for him in a way. Like, does that hurt his chances, do you think? You know, my instinct is to say yes, but at the same time, if they know this is their only chance to true, recognize true. him on the flip side, are they like, OK, yeah, we we have to get this guy in here. And and he really was. Uh, I mean, the acting, yes, was good enough on its own. But he was the breakout star of this series yes. in so many ways. Uh, I think he's the reason a lot of people watched the series. So I think a lot of credit is owed to him for what he did here. This material, it's not easy because as we know, it, it typically is like, uh, you know, Lifetime Hallmark movies with a lot mm-hmm. of, you know, traditional romantic genre material. This isn't just rom-com. It is like straight up romance novel adaptation. Yes. And it's not easy. And he just brought such a, a an undeniable charm to every single scene he was in and, and brought the drama as well. There was a lot going on here in terms of uh, that entire storyline. Yes. And, you know, I loved the show he was on before the Shonda Rhimes show for the people yeah. that was on for like a hot second. And he was a yeah. breakout in that as well. Played a cocky mm-hmm. But, you know, very charming and funny lawyer. So mm-hmm. I definitely you know, think it was wise of Shonda to keep him in her stable, at least yeah. for the launch of this show. You're probably right in that people want to honor his performance the one and only time, apparently, yeah. that they can. So Yeah, yeah. Um, and so then let's back up a second, because uh, I, I had started in on this conversation and said we'd come back. So let's do that for sure. Billy Porter impose. I, I know, yes. I, I feel like you have some strong feelings about his performance this season. I really do feel, and it's not in a, in a tacky way, but I feel like you could submit any scene he's in this season, and it could be his, like, Emmy submission. Pretty much... He is has always been one of the heart centers of that show, and I do think that they he knocked it out of the park this season as well. I think it's really between him and Josh O'Connor 
That's my mm. feeling in terms of this race. But who knows? Mm. There could be, you know, a spoiler as we get deeper into the summer. Yeah. Well, and so then on that note, who is your uh, dream nominee? If there are, are spoilers, someone who might, uh, you know, make it into the list of nominees in July, who would you love to see that be? Nico Annan, who plays Uncle Clifford on P-Valley, he's uh, sort of, his character is sort of the house mother of all the uh, strippers at at the Pink, which is the name of the club, and just funny, uh, but there's an emotional vulnerability to his performance, and I think he did such a great job. Again, I feel like it's probably a little early for P-Valley to really have a chance, but I'm hoping that this is the beginning of its storied run in the awards circuit. Mm-hmm. We shall see. Um, let, let's talk lead actress race because uh, like lead actor where Jeremy Strong won for succession uh, this year, the winner of last year is not eligible again this year, Zendaya for Euphoria, even though they did have those uh, two specials that aired uh, one in December, one in January, those they're actually not eligible for acting. So that leaves us with a handful of more fantastic people here. Two from The Crown, Olivia Coleman and Emma Corrin. Yes. Uzo Aduba is leading the charge this season uh, on In Treatment. Pose, MJ Rodriguez, one of our Pride Month cover stars. Elizabeth Moss on The Handmaid's Tale. Journey Smollett from Lovecraft Country. Sarah Paulson from Ratched and from Bridgerton. Phoebe Denever, who personally I think won't get nominated. I mean, I think obviously Olivia Coleman and Emma Corrin are both so great. And Emma Corrin, even, you know, she's un- incredible as mm-hmm. Princess Diana. And I think she even really almost had more screen time almost than Olivia Coleman. But even in those, the fewer scenes that Olivia Coleman had, she was impeccable. So, you know, you have yeah. to bow down. I would Always. love to see MJ Rodriguez get a nomination. I really feel mm-hmm. like she has grown so much as a performer yes. since season one. Um, mm-hmm. And she's just like, I love that Blanca's always giving these inspirational like pep talks because she's the mama. Mm-hmm. And you just really, like she really drives it home without ever being corny. I just, ugh, yeah. I love her. So yeah, I mean, Sarah Paulson is a great actress. I did not enjoy Ratchet as much as some other people did, but I think she held that complete, you know, batshit crazy show yes. down with her uh-huh. with her performance. She's great. I just, I, that show yeah. kind of was like off the rails from day one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. Yeah, she she did not have an easy task here. I mean, of course, everybody no. knows this character and she has to take into account what everyone knows that character to be from the movie One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. But then she had to add all of this backstory to it, all of this trauma that she had experienced yes. uh, from many different places, which they make sure to tell you many different times uh, throughout the show um, <laughs> in case you forgot. But uh, her instincts are just so spot on uh, with with everything she does, really. Yeah. Yeah, she's very believable even when everything around her is completely crazy, which is so often the case. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so... And then Uzo Aduba, you can't count her out. I mean, she's a multi-Emmy winner at this point, and I'm so glad to see her leading a series now. Yes, and you know what? I love the original in treatment, um, and I was interested in this one. She is great. Like it's you know she she's not it's not a remake. She's not you know 
playing the character, a female version of the character from the original. No, she's her own person. And, you know, I really, I think she uh, gives a great performance. And there are, you know, definitely several other actors who play her patients who could be in the mix for other categories. But I wouldn't be surprised to see her on the ticket, as they say. Yeah, exactly. I think Journey Smollett has a pretty good chance of being nominated as well. Lovecraft Country. Um, yes. I, I, I will say kind of in the vein of Ratchet, where there's so many wild things going on. Um, she did not have an easy job here, I think. And she did it uh, just so compellingly. She's I really like her. I enjoy watching her a yeah. lot. And I think she's going to have a phenomenal career. Absolutely. And it's interesting that show, you know, had... You know, people had some mixed feelings about it. Some mm-hmm. episodes were strong, others weren't. But pretty much every week, I feel like her name was trending on Twitter when it yep. aired because she was so good. No matter whether the episode was one of the best or one of the weaker ones, she was always the standout. So I think mm-hmm. she's got a real shot here. Yep. Um, well, who else would you love to see have a bigger shot? Who's your dream nominee? I'm just going to do the trifecta here. My third dream nominee is also from P-Valley, Brandy Evans, who plays Mercedes. She's the sort of veteran OG stripper at The Pink in P-Valley. Brandy Evans not only is a dancer and did much of the pole dancing herself, which, Mm -hmm. my God, you know, so athletic, so incredible. She's also just a really... A uh, charismatic actor, so I I, mm-hmm. I do think that she will uh, become a name that people start hearing more and more as the show goes on. Man, whenever she is on, I just can't stop watching her. She's mm-hmm. she's that kind of like has that kind of like electricity that you just yes. want to. I just want to see her in so many other things now too. So yes, absolutely. another good pick. You got that P Valley yeah. love going on. I mean, just three for three. P Valley, my dream nominees. Yep. All right, Jared, now that we're done talking about all the dramatic contenders, let's take a minute and hear from one of the leading contenders in the comedy race, the incredible Kaylee Cuoco, who I will be talking to right after this break. You loved her as Penny on The Big Bang Theory, and then you loved her even more as Cassie on The Flight Attendant. Please enjoy my conversation with Kaylee Cuoco. Welcome, Kaylee. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So there is such a great backstory to your involvement with this project. I love the fact that you bought the rights based on a one-line summary of the book. Can you tell us... (laughs) Can you tell us about that and what what spoke to you about the premise? Yes, um, that is a true story. I, you know, even though it felt like Big Bang Theory was going to last like 25 years, I had to come to the fact that it wasn't. So I started to, my team, who I've been with a very long time, were highly suggesting to me to, you know, find a book, I, I you know, or an article or I can adapt or whatever. I wasn't really interested. Um, and I thought, oh, something will just kind of come to me. So one night I was actually just flipping through Amazon and I was looking at the upcoming releases and I saw the flight attendant and it was actually not out yet. It was not released. And I saw the cover of the book, which they, they say, don't judge a book by its cover, but I, I definitely did. <laughs> and I opened, you know, on, on Amazon, they'll give you like two sentences of what the book was. And it was a very vague, vague description. It was like fun, um, flight attendant, drunk flight attendant wakes up in the wrong hotel in the wrong country next to a dead body. 
And I was like, what, what? And I know this sounds cheesy, but I literally got like this excited heart palpitation and this chill. And I immediately called my team and I obviously I had not read it, nothing. And I said, oh my God, um, did Reese Witherspoon get the rights to this book yet? And they were like, actually, no. And I said, oh my God, oh my, maybe I, maybe I beat her to something. They go, what did you read this? What is this book? We don't know. And I said, oh yeah, no, it's, it's phenomenal. I see it as a show. Let's get on this. And of course I had not read it, but I also knew these things take a really long time. So I was like, I don't want to waste any time. So as the team started digging into what the rights would look like, I obviously read it very quickly. I loved the book. Um, And so I was able to kind of like, let's do it. And then after a handful of months, all of a sudden I had the rights to this book. And I was like, now what the hell am I supposed to do? It's like, oh, somebody help me. (laughs) What's so great about the story is on the one hand, you know, the flight attendant is this sort of madcap whodunit. But on the other hand, Cassie, your character, the drunk flight attendant, goes through a really emotional and poignant journey. You know, she's coming to terms with her past and her alcoholic father and her own drinking problem. And you as the performer have to do all of that. How did you approach that as a performer? So it's interesting. The book is very dark, very dramatic. There is nothing funny about the book. Um, obviously, and I loved that. And I thought this would be a great opportunity as an actor, right? But I also knew I still love to make people laugh. And I love to bring some sort of quirky to any project that I'm working on. And so I just, when we started creating it, I said, look, I love this book. I love the story. I love this girl. But I think we need to find a different tone. Um, mm-hmm. And side note, if I could tell you how many times I use the word tone over the past three years to convince people, <laughs> it's like, what's the tone of this scene? What's the t- uh, trust me, it was a struggle, and but it was it was challenging because we really did do something that was quite different. Um, but it was a kind of an actor's dream. I felt like I played ten different women. Um, yeah. I played the fun, lovable best friend. I played the sister. I played a girl who has serious emotional trauma and alcoholic. Um, it was a lot of up and down and crazy. And because the tone was so kind of questionable. I did so many different takes in so many different ways because I kind of didn't know where we were going to go each way. Uh, The minute it got too dark, I wanted to make sure we made someone laugh. The minute the scene was kind of funny, I wanted to see if a tear could come down and how weird that would be. Like, it was just kind of a mishmash. And because Cassie is so reactive, um, the world is spinning around her, right? And, And I, Kaylee, that's kind of the type of actor I am. I'm very in the moment. I'm yeah. not a big preparer. A lot of people know that about me. You will not see me at night being like, I can't go to dinner. I'm studying. I just, no. Um, so I, <laughs> I, when I there, I'm in the moment. My cast started to get to know me too as, as time went on. It's like, we'd go in and block these scenes. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what's going to happen here. Just tell me where to end up. And it was a really, it was such an adventure, but I felt it was appropriate because it was happening to Cassie kind of the same way it was happening to me. Well, right. And it gives it a very sort of uh, immediate energy. I love that you did the different takes. Were you ever surprised when you would see the final cut? Like, oh, they took that take or, you know, oh, they took the emotional take instead of the funny take. Well, as EP, I was in on those decisions. (laughs) 
So I could be like, oh, I like that one. Ooh, why did she do that? By the way, I would call myself she because I totally separated myself, the producer from the actor. Um, and it would kind of depend on what the tone was. And then we would find the right song that would match kind of that energy. And then, oh, or is the next scene super dark? Well, let's keep this one a little lighthearted. It was really a puzzle and it was yeah. an adventure um, and mad props to our post-production and all that, what they did, the editors, it was they really should be the one getting recognized for this show. You could probably have a whole alternate cut of, of the series of your other tapes. We said that. We're like, we could do a comedy a cut. We could do a, like, we had so many different ways to go. You're so right. We've, we've laughed about that many times. There were definitely many options. So obviously playing somebody who is an alcoholic, who's struggling with drinking, you know, it's a challenge. You want to be authentic, but you it can go wrong really quick if you go over the top. So what kind of preparation or, you know, how I know you said you're not a preparer, but was was there research or how did you kind of get into the right mindset to do this the right way? Um, so in my life, I've been around someone who really was a functioning alcoholic, um, who was a very, you know, had a great job and worked and a great, was a great friend. And this person though, really, if they weren't drinking, it was when they were having a problem. And I kind of took that because Cassie is drinking the whole time. She's hiding little, she's taking sips throughout the day. She wakes up with it. I mean, that is someone who truly is functioning because mm -hmm. I can't, you can't play a character that's sloppy 24. You can't, you can't play someone, but you're right. seeing her drinking. You're going, Oh my God. But the way that I could justify it and the way that I thought it could be the most real was that is actually when she's normal. She can, yeah. she, the only way she can work is by having that sip. It's when that starts to be taken away. It's when she's in jail and she's, Oh my God, not getting any of the alcohol mm -hmm. and not getting those fixes is when she starts to really, Oh my God, have to face life, have to face herself. So I actually felt like the alcohol is is actually what kept her normal at the surface. Right. That's a really interesting way of putting it. Yeah, because she, that's how she functions. That's how she functions. Yeah. That was her medicine to keep yeah. her going throughout the day. That's what woke her up. That's what, yeah. so if you kind of looked at it that way, that was her normal. And when yeah. it wasn't normal is when it was all leaving. Right. And, you know, separately, obviously, uh, did you prepare at all or study about being a flight attendant? You know, I, I assume that's a pretty challenging job. Well, once I started, you know, I, I got this book it's probably three and a half years ago now. It might even be more with COVID. I'm a little bit mixed up on our years here. But so as I realized, oh, my God, we're going to do this project. I took flights a lot more seriously. I would, I'd watch the flight attendants when I was flying. I'm like, oh my God, what are they talking about back there? I'd notice when they took their heels off and they put their flats on, I noticed all their hair was a certain way. I thought that's interesting. Like just kind of little ways that they were, but mostly the behind the scenes, like are those two friends? Do they work on another airline? Um, we also had a wonderful woman who had been a flight attendant for I think 30 plus years who was on our staff as well. Oh, and yeah. the one time... She never came in to tell me anything. She was much of an observer. She was great. The only time she came in, we were doing a scene. I think it was a flashback where I'm walking down the aisle with the champagne on a tray. Yeah. And this is bringing me back to my Big Bang Theory days when I played a bartender, which was the worst. I mean, I spilled so many props. You don't even know. So now we're on a plane. <laughs> And I was carrying them down like this. And she came in, she goes, she's like, I don't want to like mess with you. She goes, but we carry with one hand. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, one hand, this plane is moving. Like, so, and I was so nervous. So I'm like, I'm like, okay. So we did it a few times. I managed to do it, but I went back to watch video village. I'm like, did that just look so ridiculous? Did I look as nervous as I felt? They're like, no, it didn't look bad, but. <laughs> That was the hardest part of the whole project, 
carrying the tray of drinks with one hand. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it's a skill. It's a Um, skill. You have to, yeah, to not spill on everybody. Yes, it is. So the show has such a great cast and you and Zasha Mamet, who plays Cassie's friend and lawyer Annie, have this great like BFF chemistry, you know, even though uh, I believe this is your first time working together. How did that develop? Yeah, it was interesting. So obviously pre-COVID, I read with, I would say, 90% of the people that came in for almost all the roles and especially the Annie's. Um, We read with a lot of girls and did, you know, we wanted chemistry reads. We wanted to see how it was going to be and it needed to be such a real friendship and a real bond. So we had looked at a lot of great, we saw a lot of great actresses and we just could not find the one though. It was not connecting. It was not connecting. Um, and then the sunshine that is Zasha, uh, I, I had heard she was coming in the next day. I'm like, oh my God, that is such an int- Like my brain never went there. I'm like, that is so interesting. We had never met. Um, so I, of course, wanted to read with her and she showed up and it was, she tells the story. We're doing the scene together where I, and I, I, I guess I booped her on the nose and I was like, you're, and I like touched her face. And then she like swatted my hand away and we became, we started touching each other and it was almost like we were instant best friends. And then when the scene was over and they were like, oh my God, that was so great. They go, well, when did you guys, what have you worked on before together? I mean, obviously you know each other. And I said, you guys, we have never, we have never met. So it was very cool that everyone believed we were best friends immediately. After she came in, that was it. I said, that's Annie. Like there's no other Annie in the world. And everyone agreed. It was, it was instant. Yeah. It's so good. I mean, you really do buy that friendship from the beginning. Um, and Cassie and her brother Davey, played by T.R. Knight, have a really complicated relationship. And you don't have a ton of scenes together, but the scenes you have are so powerful because you get these really expansive pictures of their backstory, their lives together in these little moments. My One of my favorite scenes is in the restaurant when Davey comes to confront Cassie about her drinking and, you know, buying the gifts in secret uh, for her nieces. And it's so moving. Can you tell us a little bit about making that scene and also just working with TR Knight in general? It, you know, it's so traumatic. These two kids who obviously grew up in the same home and experienced such different lives. Um, but at the end, you do realize they actually experienced the same upbringing. They just saw things so different. You know, Cassie's wide-eyed. My dad's so amazing, this, this, and this. And poor Davey, the trauma that he's gone through. And now Cassie is realizing what he went through. It is really, really heavy stuff. Um, it's interesting when TR had sent in a self-tape and I was actually headed to dinner one night and I was early. And so I'm looking through the self-tapes and I said, oh my God, TR, this, I loved it. Oh my God, what an interesting choice. So I opened his tape. And the first few lines, I just start bawling. And it was interesting because in like the 30 minutes, all the other producers started texting going, did anyone see TR's tape? We were all freaking out. And I said, that's my brother. That's it. And I knew instantly it was such a wonderful, your heart broke when he talked. And, you know, a lot of those phone call scenes we had, we didn't do together. I barely even worked with him. But I always remembered that moment, just that self-tape, that minute when he literally looks in the camera and he's like, Cassie, are you okay? And it just kills me every time because you see his heartbreak. Yes. Um, We're going to experience and come across a lot of their relationship in season two, which I'm very excited about. Yeah. That's a tragic relationship and, um, but they're all each other really has. So it's it's interesting, you know? And the sort of heartbreak, but also emotion of he never gives up on her as much as he wants to, you know, and she knows. 
that he, yeah. he it's so beautiful. He's there for her. Yeah. He yeah. is. He, I mean, yeah. she, he's the one she calls in jail. It's like, it's just so oh God. And he's like, where are you? Shouldn't you call someone who can come get you? What are you doing? Like, it's, it's tough. Families forever, yeah. you know, whether you like yeah. it or not. And it's, it's rough. So this was, I believe, your first time as executive producer. So not only are you number one on the call sheet, you're also an EP on this big, you know, expensive, fancy production. Were you ever like, wait a minute, uh, what did I get myself into? <laughs> many times. There were many, it was more... It wasn't about the EP side of it. I love that. I love making decisions. I very I knew the vision of this show from the beginning, so it was so great to have this opinion and learn so much from the behind the scenes of the camera. But there were nights where I would go into my apartment in New York and literally cry going, what is this? What are we doing? The Mind Palace? Is this even going to look good? hysterical? I'm like, oh my God, everyone's going to hate this. And then the next day I'd come back and go, wow, I really nailed that shit today. This is going to be freaking amazing. And then the next day calling my husband like, what was I thinking? They're going to hate. I was like, it was a lot of up and down emotions, you know, because this project really lived or died with me. And I yes. kept, well, if it's good, I'm going to get credit. But if it's bad, I'm also going to get a lot of credit. I said, this is just, I'm really scared. But yeah. what an unbelievable, I think the most, the biggest thing that I learned was what a team effort it is. I mean, the minute as an actor, you do your job and it's great. And then you go and you move to your next project. But the minute you wrap is like when all the work happens yeah, um, yeah. and people making you look good and adding all the nuances and the cuts. And that was a really cool experience. And did I had read that you had been intimidated by the idea of producing up until this point. Um, but what would you say you learned about yourself and what you're capable of after? Because obviously you and the team that you built, this was a success. Thank you. Um, I just had no interest. I had had this deal on the table actually for a long time about maybe creating my own company and producing. This was a handful of years before Big Bang was done. And I kept telling the team, I'm like, I'm not interested in this. And the, it, the main reason was because I am so black or white. I'm all or nothing. And I knew I needed to fully give my heart to this. If I was mm -hmm. going to do it, I wasn't just going to kind of be involved. It's like, I knew if I did this, this was it. I was going as high as I could go. And once I obviously optioned flight attendant, then I launched Yes Norman and then put this unreal team behind me, obviously thanks to Warner Brothers and learning just to, to produce side by side with Berlanti's team was just a, a, a lesson in producing um, mm -hmm. to be able to start there. And now I love it. And it's really hard work and it's it makes you so much more. The project is such even more bittersweet because you know how much work went into it. Right, right. I mean, this was a, an international production. You started, I believe, in uh, Bangkok. Yeah. Uh, what was what was it like to shoot there? Yeah, I remember when I brought the project to the studio, and they were like, "Could you have picked anything smaller?" Like it was like, "Yeah." So I want to launch this company. I also want to shoot in all these different countries, and um, also the tone is going to be super bizarre. And it's it was like I decided on to go really, really big. Um, shooting in Thailand was awesome. The fact that we were able to shoot in Bangkok and then in Rome uh, minutes before the world shut down. Yes. I mean, that's yeah. insane. And our finale was in Rome. So I still think back, oh my God, if we didn't go out of order, I actually don't know what we would have done. Because um, right. a lot of the story revolved around that ending there. So yeah, so it was really incredible to be there with the cast and work with these incredible crews and all these different people. And it was it was a big task, but what an adventure that, I, you know, that I'll never forget. 
And then, of course, as you mentioned, you know, there was the shutdown in March of 2020, but the flight attendant was one of the first of Warner Brothers scripted shows to go back to work. So not only do you sort of feel that pressure as, as a performer, but as an EP, what was your role in sort of figuring out how do we do this safely? Yeah, we were the first show back up on our feet in New York. And over those like six or seven months, our team behind the scenes was putting together basically the booklet on how to do this, mm -hmm. um, how to be preventative, the COVID testing, the different pods and all this stuff. How do we do this? Um, and so I knew I needed to make sure I was 100 percent that I knew this was going to be OK and that I could tell my crew, guys, I wanted to lead the way. We're good. We're going to finish this. And they all showed up again and they all were there for me. And we ended up super healthy. And the only sad part about going back and being the first one is I, I felt like I was like a bubble girl. Like no one wanted to come near me. They were like, don't touch her. Go, Kaylee, go to your trailer. Go. It was like I, I couldn't talk to anyone because if I went down and we were it was over. So yeah. I kind of didn't, the relationship was just a little like waving from afar and texting. And um, so it looked and felt a little different, but I just wanted to finish. And the fact that we did, plus it was, I think it was a weird meant to be, we were supposed to launch with HBO Max in April. And then with the push, it became Thanksgiving, which sounded like, oh my God, do we really want to do that? And then it, I think it was the best thing that could have happened to us because people were home and I think That's anxious. exactly right. Yeah. yeah, it worked well. People were already on their couches and probably wanting to escape a little bit <laughs> yes. into some adventure. So it worked, it worked for us. Yes. Now, you know, originally this was sort of viewed as a limited series, but obviously it's been renewed for season two. At what point in the process did you guys start thinking oh, we might be able to go beyond the book here. Yeah, it was obviously when I first envisioned it, it was definitely a one-time, let's do this book and go. Um, but you, we fell it's so in love with these characters. And even for me, I was like, I want to see what's going to happen to Annie. Like, what's happening to Shane? Megan, where did Megan yes. go? And we started talking about this and going... I think there's another season here. Like, I think we can keep, and and once the show aired and we saw that people reacted the way they did, we thought, I think we can now come up with some new story, which is fun. We don't have the book anymore and the book was great. Um, and now these characters can kind of take on some other adventures. And I'm excited about that. You know, we don't have a lot of plot going on yet. We're still working all that out, but it's fun to now kind of do whatever we want in a way. And people really do love these people. So I'm, I'm curious myself to see what yeah. we end up doing. Well, you mentioned, you know, we'll see more about uh, Cassie's relationship with Davey. Um, do, is there anything else that you want to explore? I mean, certainly in the finale, there's sort of this possibility that she might become a human asset for, for the CIA. What are you interested in exploring in season two? So when we were talking about a season two, I specifically was like, okay, this is not all of a sudden going to be Cassie is a super spy FBI, like who, that is not what I want. We still have this, you know, little girl, crazy girl in a China shop, knocking things over, not knowing what she's doing. I think there will be a little bit of the CIA asset side kind of on the side and she's not going to be a big part of it, but obviously, yeah. you know, she gets herself in these situations on a personal level. We're going to be really facing the fact that she's trying to stay sober. And obviously you guys saw our announcement of moving to California, yeah. which is what Cassie is going to be moving to LA, which is the number one thing you're not supposed to do when you're just starting to get sober. Everything you're supposed to do when you get sober, she's going to do the opposite thinking like I nailed it. This is easy. She likes yeah. an easy fix. You know, she's also going to wonder, am I that cool, fun girl that I was before? Like is sober Cassie fun? Am I interesting? Yeah. Um, she's going to really, really struggle with that. And um, she's going to realize it's not as easy as she thought. 
Yeah, I mean, there's so much you could do with that. Um, and finally, this has been a very interesting award season, you know, um, <laughs> and you've had so much fun with it in that, like, you know, people love seeing your video, your reaction to getting the Golden Globes nomination, which yeah. was so sweet. Thank and then, you. of course, you know, the great photos of you all glammed up at the ceremony at home and then eating the pizza. Like, yeah. what has this remote award season been like for you? You know, I've been in this business for 30 years and I've been on a very successful TV show. And as a whole, the show got so much recognition. It was really amazing. I've never had an award show like this for a character that I have played. So this has been the biggest thing that's ever happened to me. And even though it was virtual, I had spoken to my team and like, guys, this could never happen again. Like, I don't think this will happen again. So I, we have to take advantage of this. I want to dress to the nines. I want to play. I want to make fun of ourselves. Um, you know, losing to Catherine all season was a win to me. <laughs> so I was like, okay, we're going to win one way or another. We're going to make the best loser photos that anyone has ever seen. And so it became like this theme, which just cracked up. My team and I just laughed so hard, but we had a blast and I'm truly living the dream. I feel like my career all of a sudden just started and I'm, I'm, I'm um, striking while it's hot, even though I've been around for a very long time. <laughs> Well, you know, you obviously got a long way to go. And um, thank you so much for your time today. And <laughs> it's you. been great talking to you. And we look forward to hearing more about season two when it's ready. Can't wait, you guys. Thanks for your support. It means a lot. You really should have warned me to uh, buckle up for that interview there, Kristen. So much good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> She's great. Oh, and so by the bad. way, those, no, it's the best. Come on now. But those season two teases, that's what everyone wants. I can't wait. I mean, yeah, she, she was not holding back and I no. very much enjoyed speaking with her. And now I'm really excited for season two. Uh, you and everyone else. Well, it'll be a while before we get that, but uh, you know, we'll have much more awardist here every week to help tide you over as we continue our uh, deep dive all Emmy season long into the race. Be sure to uh, follow me and Kristen both on social media so you can tell us what you love about our interviews, if there's someone you want to hear from, uh, and your thoughts on any of these particular categories. I am at Jared Hall, and Kristen is at... Kristen G. Baldwin. And be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already. And we will see you next week on The Awardist. <laughs> <laughs>